All right, uh, the message that we have today out of Ecclesiastes 3, um, it's going to be very much in alignment with the general feel of what Ecclesiastes is. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can bring one today. If you don't own one, you can snag one on the front table uh, up here uh, by the revolving door. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you have a please take one with you. Welcome to us that easily. Um, but this, uh, it's going to go right along with um, what the book of Ecclesiastes does for it, um, does for us, it's it's like taking class from a philosophy professor uh, who will, will really stir up more questions than he will answers. And uh, and, and certainly with the topics we're dealing with today, my my goal is for you to, to go to your go to the lunch table today, go to your journey group. This week, missional community, go to theology pub. Some of you guys do there. Youth group tonight, and to discuss some of these things because we're really we're not we're not going to do anything but kind of walk into the doorway. We're going to get some other biblical parameters on some of these topics. But I want you guys to go deeper together. Uh, so study yourself and study with others as we go deeper into uh, what it means to kill or hate or war. When it's time to speak. When it's time to silence. Silent. So uh, let's get into Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verses 1 through 8. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck out what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain is the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in a man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done. God, again, thank you for uh, the Bible. Thank you for the Word of God. Uh, I thank you for my friends uh, that are in here, uh, that are brothers and sisters, uh, that are family because of Christ, that we are Christians together. And uh, Father, we're ones that you point to the Bible and say it's the only sacred text, and it is to be our our uh, source for worldview. And so, God, we thank you for the anointing that's on the Bible and the Word of God. We ask for you to penetrate our hearts and our souls today and uh, to bless us with it. also pray for any of my friends that may be in here, Lord, that they're not believers in Christ or they don't trust the Bible as being the ultimate source of truth, God. And they are so welcomed here and we love our friends, Father, and we want to journey uh, together. And of course, we commend Jesus to our friends and we commend his death, burial, resurrection as being available in hope for anyone, and then the Bible as being the story of God and the story of man. And so, God, we, uh, we thank you for what you're doing in here, what you'll do in the next service, what you'll do through, uh, through uh, this recorded audio, God, uh, in the future. May you be glorified, may you be seen as the hero in Jesus' name. So, uh, last week, uh, we started this first kind of two-week series on this section, uh, Seasons and Times, 
Uh, we dealt with uh, the other the other elements, uh, and today what we're dealing with is we're dealing with time to kill and time to heal. We're dealing with time to silent, time to speak, time to love, time to hate, a time for war, and time for peace. Let's start with let's start with killing and healing. Um, the Bible says there is a time to kill, um, and in the plan of God, there is there is a time for executing murderers. Um, Genesis nine speaks to this, verse 5 through 6. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now what this is not talking about is not talking about murder. It's not talking about it's okay to go and shed blood. In fact, it's talking about murder. It's talking about one man one woman uh, murders someone else. What, what takes place uh, at that point because of uh, uh, because of the protection she be upon of others uh, away from those that she's destroying. So God requires a judgment for men to kill one another. And strangely, in this verse, it even says that God has a judgment that He's going to bring to animals that kill kill people. Now I don't understand that. I don't fully know what God's going to do there. I, I don't know if there's going to be animals that are, are there in the the uh, throne of judgment, I don't think they are. I'm not really sure exactly what this means. It's one of the puzzles. But I think it's interesting that God, God is pointing out how precious life is there. That not only is it precious from man to man, but even, even if an animal uh, destroyed a human life, that's precious in God's, in God's sight. And that he will ultimately be the one that takes care of things. But he did set up things within the Mosaic Law uh, and the director. Uh, mentioned that there should be a protection. C.S. Lewis says this. I'm, I'm going to be quoting quite a few times from C.S. Lewis uh, today. He said this. Um, St. Paul says, the magistrate bears the sword and should bear the sword. It's recorded that the soldiers who came to John the Baptist saying, what shall we do? We're not told to leave the army. When our Lord himself praised the centurion, he never hinted that the military profession was in itself sinful. This has been the general view of Christendom. So that, that's going to deal with, uh, deal with both um, the protection of the government uh, when it comes to dealing with, with those who murder people, and that also deals with the people who are part of, of armies uh, and, and the military in general. Uh, Paul, uh, what Paul, uh, uh, what C.S. Lewis referred to there was in Romans 13, 3 and 4, uh, Paul said this, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. All right, now hold on a second. How many of you guys, when you're driving down the road and you see a cop, all of a sudden you go, you know, you just kind of freak out, and uh, you might even be one that, that you drive at speed limits, but still just kind of has a good show. We have a good safety person here even today. And so they understand they have this power upon them. And I... It happened to me just the other day. I wasn't speeding, but I saw a policeman and just, uh, just kind of the inward shudders, like, check everything, 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 I got the seatbelts, everything's all right, you know. And, uh, and it occurred to me here, um, this is just an extra for today, is what if, what if when we saw the policeman uh, out there peeking around, rather than freaking out and wondering, did I make eye contact? Are you okay? Everything all right? What if at that very moment you prayed for that person? So that's my challenge for you 
it's the next time you see a policeman. And maybe even make a habit of it. When you see a policeman, uh, rather than trying to figure out and try to pull over, that you immediately pray and ask God to protect them and ask God to bless them. All right, we'll go further in here. Um, rulers are not here to, to good conduct, but bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath and wrongdoer. Does this mean that every policeman or every government official, every president, every governor, every mayor is righteous in what they do? No way. There's no way. We know that. That's not true. We're not saying that just because they have an authority and God's saying show respect that, that it's okay for them to go to be above the law. It's not. They must answer to the law as well. But generally speaking, God is saying, look, they're ministers and they're here in particular to protect you and serve you in that way. Um, so there's a there, there's a time there's a time to kill. Um, there's um, even as we talk about um, some, some folks that have, have a conscientious objection against uh, eating animals, and, and you know, I respect that. I disagree with it. Um, bacon is the food of God, so you gotta, you gotta go to a pig for that, right? And, uh, um, but, uh, I mean, in the cultural mandate of Genesis 1, tells us to have dominion over the earth. Um, God is not opposed to the killing of animals. In fact, after after Adam and Eve fell, God was the one that had that gave made the first animal sacrifice to be able to clothe them. And there's many reasons for that, but one of the purposes in that it showed that the animals are here to serve to serve humans. Um, now there's verses in Scripture that talk about that a wise man takes care of his animals as well. You know, so you don't swing either way as far as the, the screen. You just love what God's created, love animals. And you dog lovers, cat lovers in here, uh, you understand that. You protect, you protect your, your animals. But even those animals, they're, they're here for us. And so those you guys who are carnivores, you guys who, who uh, and I mean, and some of you guys who are paleo, uh, what is it? What do they call it? The paleo, paleo diet? You know, and so I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of omnivorous uh, eating uh, in that diet, and I'm all for it. Hold on to our but uh, we're grateful for it. There is a, there is a time to kill in that way. Um, there's a time to heal. And that leads us to our next section, which talks about a time to love. And there's a time to hate. Uh, earlier this week, I took a risk and threw a question out on Facebook to say, uh, to ask some questions about hatred. To say, all right, is it ever appropriate to hate something or someone? And I'm like, you know what? And this is really ugly, you know, because I've got friends out there, you know, that uh, plenty of friends on Facebook, that Facebook land, and that, I mean, because Christian friends are, you know, you don't really know them, you've got non-Christian, you don't really know them, but regardless, got a bunch of folks out there, some, some are Christian, some are non-Christians, and I'm like, man, okay, this is, this could be a wrecking ball here, you know, if some, if we have some uh, ugly fundamentalist Christians that go and, and they wreck what I'm trying to do. Um, but got the poll out there and, and heard from Christians and non-Christians alike. I just had to be responsive. But one of the responses was, I mean, is there appropriate to hate? And, and one of them said, 
We're to hate hatred. That's what we're supposed to hate. No one said uh, we should hate sin. Now, this is a part of the definition of what holiness actually is. Is that we hate sin. Holiness is to love God, yet we hate what sin is. Uh, one said God hates divorce. Another said uh, uh, hate, uh, hate the devil, cancer, hate injustice. Uh, another one said be angry, but not hate. Um, and uh, those are the scripture I want to go through real quickly. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 19, that's just one of the sections uh, in the Bible that talks about, about hate or hatred. Uh, what I challenge you to do, if you don't have a, a Bible study program, go to BibleGateway.com and do a, do a text search uh, on the word uh, hate or hatred and, and go and see some context. And there's a lot of verses Here's one that comes out of Proverbs uh, 6. Says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who brings out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. And you know what's interesting in the middle of that? Is all of the things that God says he hates, he hates those that have difficulties with others. He hates it when people stir up trouble among themselves. He hates that. It speaks to community. God is a communal God. We as Americans here, I mean, we, we just look at everything through these individualistic eyes. It's like, well, what, what about me? What does that have to do with me? And yet God says, no, what it has to do with y'all. Like a sudden God, right? Um, has to do with others. And contrary to, an, unfortunately, they're known as a church, they're not a church, Westboro Baptist Church, God does not hate fags. And they go and they pull and uh, they, they uh, uh, protest. In fact, I don't know what the uh, uh, Steve Jobs funeral is. It's coming up soon. Um, they're going to protest that. Freedoms to do that, um, but uh, uh, it's unfortunate that they they are they project that that is what Christianity is. And I'm here to tell you, God does not hate fags. God loves sinners. Is what he does. Does God have some things to say about homosexuality? Yes, He does. Some serious ones. Does God have some things to say about those that are heterosexual and, and pervert God's ways as well and His design? Absolutely. God hates sin. I love sinners. I love sinners. So I, you know what? I hate the message of that church. Don't you? Can you hear that? They, 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 I, I just, I hate it. It's just, it's horrible. Um, C.S. Lewis spoke a little bit on hatred in his uh, screw tape letters. Um, senior devil screw tape was talking to the junior devil Lumwood, uh, giving counsel and coaching to him. He said this, Cowardice, alone of all the vices, is purely painful, horrible to anticipate, horrible to feel, horrible to remember. Hatred has its pleasures. It's therefore often the compensation by which a frightened man reimburses himself for the miseries of fear. The more he fears, the more he will hate. The more he fears. Uh, also in response to the 
Facebook message. Uh, my friends, uh, Dave Burke, uh, sitting here now, um, gave, gave a great response. And he said this The Bible is clear that we're to hate sin, evil, and wickedness. You refer to Hebrews 1 19 and Romans 12 9. What's not entirely clear is how we're about to go about doing that. Hate is an emotion that is much like love in that it doesn't find its full meaning until it's expressed in action. So the question becomes, how do we act on our hatred of sin? Unfortunately, many Christians, well-intentioned and otherwise, express their hatred of sin by letting it spill over onto the people they see committing. But the Bible is also clear that we are not to hate each other, as John nine. The best analogy I can come up with is likening the sin to cancer. David King John says, I hate cancer. I hate what's done to people I know and to their families. It's a horrible, wasting thing that must be fought at all costs. But it would never occur to me to hate someone who has cancer just because they've been overtaken by it. Even if it were, if it were possible to trace the cancer back to the decision the person has made, I would never think of ridiculing them for it. What purpose would that serve? It certainly would not cure the cancer. I believe the same holds true for our dealings with other regarding sinfulness. We may see the warning signs and try to help each other avoid sin, but once it takes hold, our only course of action is to love the person. Chastising someone in the grip of sin does not does nothing to cure it. But unlike cancer, we do know the cure for sin, Jesus himself. I can help show them the way to the cure. So in the end, our hatred for sin finds its fullest meaning in the action of loving our brothers and sisters in spite of it. It's recognizing that the sin does not define the sinner, but it is a vicious, malignant thing that does, that's taking hold of them to be cured. Loving a person doesn't mean I accept their sin any more than loving someone with cancer means I'm okay with malignancy. Loving a person just means I'm willing to see them through, to walk with them along, alongside until the cure takes them. Here's what love is. Love is the desire and the commitment to the ultimate best for someone. And you know what the polar opposite of that is? It's hatred. And what hatred is? Hatred is the desire and the commitment to the ultimate worst for someone. You see? You see that they're polar opposites. Love is not just, it's not just a desire, it's a commitment. It's not just a commitment, it's the desire and affections for it. For the, the ultimate best for someone. Now, what we believe in as Christians is God is the one that gets to, design, gets to decide and declare what ultimate best is. And he's declared it. And he said, I am it. It's not, it's not food, it's not sex, it's not money, it's not power. It's none of these things. He says, I, I, am, I am what's best for you. I am the ultimate best. And so therefore, what real love is, is to say, I'm, I have both the desire, the affection, and the commitment to press people for the ultimate best, which is Jesus Christ. What hatred is, is desire, the affection, and the commitment to push people toward their ultimate worst. They're polar opposites. And, and in between them, there's many shades of circumstantial affection, mediocre dislike between those two things. But man, when you get to those places, you know know it. In fact, we, we need to 
characterize love as being that extreme. Love is not mediocrity. Love is not circumstantial. Love is not just the honeymoon. Why do you agree about it? Love is when you start hitting the wall and you disagree. You, you, you don't see things the same. You don't have the same philosophy or worldview. And you're like, what do I do with this? And our natural inclination is to separate and isolate ourselves or is to attack and to villainize. Love says no. I'm going to stick to it. And I'm going to continue to push myself and push the other person towards the ultimate best, which is Jesus, which is the gospel, which is biblical love. So the more the thoughts and feelings, they reveal themselves in the commitments of words and actions, and neither love nor hatred will rest until it's walked out. You don't have real love unless it's spoken and it's acted and the desire is there and the commitment's there. And if you have real hatred, it's going to be there as well. Matthew 5, 43 46 says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So God just saying, look, you want to know what real love is. It's not, it's not what things are going great. Real love surfaces when things are really rough, when things are really terrible, when the people you trust turn on you, or even when the enemies are poured on. That's when love reveals itself, or that's when mediocrity hate reveals itself. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, Christian love, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will. All that really means is, is that, and to do either one, to really, or to really hate someone, man, it's going to be passionate. Really love someone, it has to be passionate. Or it's not love. You will choose hatred or love. Just as this book, Ecclesiastes, points too often, it's often attached to your understanding of sovereignty. Now listen to me, let me kind of connect the dots here. Hatred or love will be based upon what you fear the most. If you fear that you are not in control, listen, listen. If you fear that you are not in control, that you are not sovereign. You will attack all things and people that may topple your kingdom. That's where hatred is, is birthed. If someone is getting in the way of my control over my kingdom. Or if you have a fear of a God that you know is in control, that will taint everything, it will infect every place that you are every relationship that you are, that you will either fear the loss of control or you fear a God who is in control. And in one, there is a slavery to destruction. In the other, there is a slavery that just smells like scripture. War and peace. Both love hate. War and peace. Um, love and hate represent personal feelings. War and peace represent huge socio-political conditions. Now, now, check this out. This is part of the thing, things I want you guys to process. Somebody over lunch or 
in a group this week. Don't miss journey. Don't miss the discipleship group, a missional community this week to get with people to talk about or talk about peace. Should, should we be should we be for or against all wars? Should we be for or against all wars? I hope that you see the false dichotomy. I hope you see the trap that's built within that question. Because that's the trap that's presented before you all the time. Is people want to paint you into a corner. It's either you gotta, you gotta, if you like war, if you're for war, maybe you gotta like all wars. You know, if you're if you're for peace, you know, you gotta have peace at, at all times. You can never have have war. It's a false dichotomy. Um, there's something that's called the just war theory. Um, it was uh, it was uh, first formulated by Augustine. It was later developed by Thomas Aquinas. And according to the theory, a just war can be undertaken if three conditions are met. Three conditions. Now, these are Christian. These are theologians. These are pastors. Some, I mean, bishops. They're high, high up, apostolic fathers. They're talking about this. And they say, look, a just war, therefore, it's righteous to engage in war. Three things. Number one, it's defensive and waged for the common good and in defense of the peace of the realm. Number two, it's charitable and waged in a spirit of benevolence and magnanimity towards the vanquished. Number three, it's waged for a lawful purpose of the This comes from Nelson's Christian Dictionary. Let me read it to you real quick. Again, just for theory. Number one, it's defensive and waged for the common good. It's defense of the peace of the realm. Two, it's charitable and waged in the spirit of benevolence and magnanimity toward the vanquished. Three, it's waged for a lawful purpose or goal. And uh, I'll challenge you guys when we get together with groups this week is, is, to, is to think about it and analyze some of the wars that, that have been in, in your lifetime and the process through. And I'm sure there can be some, some good, good debate. And be truthful, but be gracious there. Um, what, what I think is the primary thing that we need to understand is to understand that life itself is war. It's a battle that we're in every day. And we have a tendency to think of all battles and all wars as being this person against this person as part of the fight, or this nation against this nation's religious group against this religious group, and certainly history proves that out. But yet, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the real battle is not against people against people. That they, it, it's not it's not overstepping that uh, or saying that that's not relevant. It is. And people do have battles together. But see, look, in the scale of the universe and the cosmos, the real battle is not what's going on right there. It's something far greater and deeper and more powerful. Ephesians 6 talks about it. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so what my challenge to you would be would be is this, is, that, is to look at things through gospel lenses. The people that agree with you or the people that disagree with you. The people that we would analyze and say, man, they're against us as a nation or they're against us as, as a race. To look at it and to say, well, what does, what does the gospel have to say about this? And, and what, what's the real battle? What's if there's, if there's somebody back there that's pulling the strings that's, that's way deeper than the people themselves, what are they up to? What are they up to?
What are they trying to accomplish? This kind of gets back to hatred. And I, I think hatred is a very important thing to have. But it's important that you hate your real Real. That's Satan. It's the demons of hell that steal and kill and destroy. I, I hope that you in here don't you believe in angels, don't you believe in demons. They don't run things God does, but they're but they're real. And I mean, I don't know how to think about it, but there's there's probably angels that are they're here that are that are taking notes and that as we're praising God, they're joining with us. Praising God is that if I say something that's right on track with the Word of God, that they're just saying, Amen, Amen to, to Yahweh, Amen, Jesus. I mean, they're, 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 they're echoing the worship and the prayers that are, that are going on. But yet there's demons, very real demons. And they're scheming. And you're married. Pushing your buttons. Now, I don't think that we and try to blame the devil for everything. And certainly, we need to take ownership and face the news. And we're the ones who sin. And don't, don't go, say, well, I'm sorry, honey. Say, no, no, you keep on up to it. And say, you know what, babe, I did it. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm acting like the devil right now. And uh, that's not my true dad. And I act like Satan instead. Forgive me. But it is important to know that he is scared. He is steal, kill, and destroy. Psalm 27, 3-4, David spoke about this. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Basically, it's this. Most, most of you, within your life, you're not going to be in a setting uh, when there's civil unrest and there's, there's war that's going on around you. It may happen to some of you as you go to short-term mission trips and uh, something breaks out. You know, or some of you here call long-term overseas. Who knows if it's going to happen, things like that are going to happen in civil unrest even within, within our own nation. Things, things are going to happen. But you know what David is saying? That in, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of being oppressed, in the midst of people that had a bullseye upon him that wanted to kill him, he said, listen, God, in the middle of all that, and he certainly asked God to protect him and to pull him out of the pit and, and to, to rescue him. But you know what he said? You know what he pressed into? He said, yet in the middle of the war that my life is, do you know what I want? One thing. One thing is what I want, God, to see that, that I may dwell in the house all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And He's not talking about heaven here. Back then, it was the it was the tabernacle that they had, and that that they were to go in and they're just you know you got deeper and deeper, and there's the presence of God. And he just He's just saying, I want to be close to Your very presence, God. I want to be closer and closer. In the midst of my battle, God, I press in to You. In the middle of the war. You're in the middle of what happens among siblings, among you in marriage, what happens in colleagues, among your neighbors, even what happens with yourself, the battle that goes on. Let me answer this. Press in Jesus. Press in. Somebody say, I can press in. Press in. 
time to be silent and time to speak. People say uh, that the two things you should not talk about are what? Politics and religion. Politics and religion. That's ridiculous. That's just, that's ridiculous. We should not be a people who are silent about what we, we believe. I mean, listen, I know that even within Sojourn Church, there's people that vote, vote on opposite party lines. And, and some of you are like, really? I thought everybody was up. And I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're not. And I'm, I'm grateful that God that God brings brings diversity of thought and, and perspective. And I know, I, I know you believe the way you believe because you think it's right. And, and in your perspective, all the things you're saying are like, well, it lines up best that I can see. Guess what? You don't see everything. You don't see all the changes. It can be a wonderful debate among people, you know, about, about the different part of life. And honestly, I'm not, I don't, I don't straddle a line. I'm on a side. You talk about it if you want to. I'm not going to talk about it here. But I've got my place um, that I believe. I mean, there's some, there's some people within our church that, that would go to the Occupy Huntsville uh, events, and there's some who would go to tea party events. Because from their perspective, even, even as a Christian, like, this is what compassion looks like. Or this is what compassion looks like. You know what? I, I, honestly, one of the things that we need to guard against is, is to know, we see it all the time, the different sides politically, they, they, they start building these straw men, whether you represent the beliefs of the other, other person accurately. That's just not. That's just not good. It's just not valid to do that. And how many times do you just see these blatant caricatures about the other side? I mean, it's turned. I mean, everybody turns into a cartoon figure. Or you take one, take one subgroup or one person that says I believe in it, and so then a whole group just gets tagged. And that's, that's where everybody is that believes this. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. So what do I learn? In community. And you need to be processing. Okay, as I read the Bible, this is the way that I believe my, my worldview applies like this. Socially, politically, economically, ecologically. This is this is what I believe. Because honestly, I mean many of us you've been in you've been in just in bubbles most of your life to where maybe all you've ever heard is one little perspective on it. Now, I appreciate different denominations. Uh, we, we don't sync up to one denomination just because we didn't, we didn't feel called. So therefore, non-denominational. Um, but we've got some, I mean, we've got some uh, strong beliefs that, uh, that are attached to, to, to certain groups. Um, but in the middle of it, even though there's some denominations out there or some, some groups within, I'm talking about within Christianity, I'm not talking about than honest Christianity, faithful Christianity. There are groups out there that they they may they may not even I, I don't agree with the way their their interpretation of certain certain scriptures and that how they base things and they form out of context. And yet what they're what they're aiming at, what they're trying to do is something that's that's actually so it's like, okay, God, how can I, how can I learn and grow from that, yet remain faithful at the same time? So it's, uh, it's 
is important. And, and just listen, I, I think we need to need to call each other out when we start when we start caricaturing one another or, or another group. Is uh, when you see you see the straw man, when you see that you're just you're just pointing out that you're taking an extreme vantage point of, of, of one portion and applying it to all. It's just not, it's just not very helpful. I love the freedom of speech that we have here in America. A lot of people around the world, they just don't have it. The churches that are meeting right now or that met a few hours before because they're somewhere else and they're meeting a few hours after, they don't have the same type of freedoms that we have. And man, I think it's incredible that we have we have uh, folks that and they, they fight for the freedom of, of that kind of speech, even when it takes me off. Even when people like, man, you're an idiot. And they are, you know? But they've got freedom, freedom to do that. But see, there's something even better than freedom of speech. There's a better platform than even that. It's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection. That, that God himself became a man, lived a perfect life, and uh, died the death that he should have died. He took all the condemnation uh, for us. There's none left. As a result of that, guess what? I and we do not have to be right about anything. Guess what, man? There is such freedom in that. You don't. You think you do something. And we do not have to villainize someone that thinks differently of us. And if you believe the gospel, if you believe that you're fully accepted, that then you don't have to demonize or villainize, satirize, patronize someone who doesn't believe like you because you think, man, if I will do that, then others will respect me more or build me, I'll feel better about myself because it's like, I can't, I shouldn't feel any better about myself because Jesus has paid it all. That's what grace does. Grace says you don't have to be right about it. In fact, you can hang out with folks that, that don't have to I love that about Southern Church. Love, love that. Now, what we got to continue to do is, is we, we must guard our, our hermeneutic, and that's the word, that's the word we interpret. The way we interpret the Bible is hermeneutic of the Bible. The way you interpret anything, hermeneutic. But, but it's, it, it's important that we share each other with the caveat that we go to the Bible and we go to the gospel to inform us. The way that Christians should read the Bible is with a biblical hermeneutic, not an experiential hermeneutic. Let me explain that. Because I see this all the time. Um, the way that you analyze your worldview, the way that you live, the way life is supposed to be lived out, it needs to be something. You go, you go to the Bible and say, all right, even if it doesn't say something about this exact thing, I can see clearly the principles that support me, that undergird, that undergird this. Rather than saying, well, man, this is what I've seen. This is what happened in my family. This is what happened to my dad and my granddad. Because many times, that will point you in a certain way about what it is that think how you think life should be done or it will say life shouldn't be lived according to this way just because of experience. Here, now experience is important. You've got stories you've seen where devastation takes place in your life um, or in others' lives or confusion uh, or the selfishness. You see that uh, and it's important to analyze that. 
But, but don't use that as the basis to say, well, I believe, I believe what I believe because stories I've heard, people that I've met. And, and I mean, I, I challenge you to think through topics as you get together at lunch or in groups this week to say, all right, what's, what's an example of something that, that people believe that they will they'll put more they'll put more weight upon what they're experiencing rather than what scripture said about them, right? Roll with that. So my challenge is to walk closely in life with other Christians. Share your worldview as you go. Hold the gospel firmly and hold your worldview loosely. Amen? Hold the gospel firmly. Hold your worldview loosely and allow God to adjust things as you go. It all comes back to Jesus Community Mission always does. Always does. And some of you, when it comes to it's time to speak, it's time to be silent, some of you do much damage with your opinions. You just need to shut up, actually. You need to read the Bible, you need to listen to others. It's time for silence. And some of you, You can never speak. Some of you need to open up and walk things out with others. You say, you know what? I just gotta be, I'm gonna take a risk to let you know what I think. And you do that. It's a risk. That's what we do in community with others. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace, a time to speak, and a time to be silent. Gotta finish things up this morning. Very important that we know this, that these are things in which we say, how do we, how do we love or hate or peace or keep silence or speak? Um, how do we go about it? But we must know the Bible tells us there's a day when God is going to bring all these things to us. Revelation 1, 12, 18, listen to this. And just let this sink in about the reality of a powerful sovereign God. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. And his right hand held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the one, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Now quickly, Revelations 19, 11 through 16, more of this picture of this God named Jesus. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the 
fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On the road, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen to me. There is a God that is being very merciful right now with all sinners. There's a God that is, that is he's allowing patience until the time comes when he says, I will have sin and rebellion and wickedness and perversion and, and uh, violence. Uh, I'll have it no more. And he's coming. This loving God, this loving Jesus who, who walked around, he played with the children, he laughed with them, and he healed people. We see the warm, loving side of him. He's coming in judgment. And he's going to make war against all who say, no thank you, Jesus, I can do it myself. So as you analyze your, your worldview, well, it's the world today, hatred looking good, all this, he's telling you. But the primary thing you need to do is make sure that you come to a place where you say, Jesus, yep, you're God, you're sovereign, and I 